three, two, one. Hi and welcome to Unaware by Bee Physiology. We're not film critics, we're not philosophers, and we are not living with a disability. We do, however, have a very unique insight into the lives of the people that we work with. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. Hello and good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to another episode of Unaware by Bee Physiology. My name is AJ. And my name is Harry. And you are listening to the official Bee Physiology podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is season number one, episode number seven. Uh, and this season we have called it Be Real. So Harry, can you quickly explain to everybody out there in the world what Be Real is in reference to? So Be Real is uh, all about taking... Uh, how particular characters, events, and uh, disabilities are portrayed in movies and film, and then us as exercise physiologists trying to relate to them in our professional sense and in our personal life as well. So if it works or if it doesn't work, you know, how do we grade these movies in a realist, realistic sense? Right, yeah. How does it, how does it uh, represent what we see of the disability in our, in our work, I guess? Yeah. And when we talk about our, our work, as Harry said, we're exercise physiologists, so our job is to use exercise as a form of medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, we're pretty biased, but also pretty confident saying that exercise is beneficial for anybody, regardless of condition, age, disability. Mm-hmm. So we will try and tie in some of those exercise physiological principles to what we're seeing but for the most part like harry said we're just trying to compare uh what we know of a disability and what is represented in the film yeah perfect man i think it's probably a good time to uh push a spoiler alert for the movie we're going to do today oh yeah what is the movie that we are doing today harry what's eating gilbert grape yes that is exactly right and this one i think you hear people talk about it as they've seen it or if they saw it a while ago and they're they're pretty fond of everybody. Yeah, I mean, it seems to be a childhood favourite to a lot of people. So I've mentioned it to some people and they go, oh, I love that movie. That seems that movie's great. I remember watching that when I was a kid and I really, you know, I really loved it. And after watching it, and I, haven't, I didn't watch it as a kid. Me neither. So I'm coming from the standpoint of just a fresh, fresh eyes to the whole thing. And I wonder if they went back and rewatched it, if they'd have the same opinion. Right, because, well, that was probably something that, I mean, we obviously knew the premise of the film, and we'll explain the premise uh, to those of you who don't know, but we knew somewhat of the premise going into it, and yep. we were already a little bit cautious of what that might look like. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, people got away with it a little bit more back in the 90s. I think this might be like a 1993. Yep. Um, and yeah, I guess we'll explore that a little bit more as we sort of break down what we saw as a film. Yep. Yeah, Sounds so good. I guess I'll go in and explain the, the plot itself. Yeah. So, What's Eating Gilbert Grape? I suppose when you think of that movie, if you haven't seen seen it, but you know a little bit of it, you probably immediately think of Leonardo DiCaprio's character mm-hmm. who has an intellectual disability. But I want to say, first and foremost, that uh, Leo's character, Arnie, is not actually the main character of this film. It's, mm-hmm. in fact, Gilbert, uh, Gilbert Grape, mm-hmm. uh, who is Arnie's older brother. Played by Johnny Depp. Played by Johnny Depp. Mm. So, two good-looking actors. Yeah. It's a shoo-in for a good (laughs) movie. (laughs) Essentially, the film is set around this family. I believe the Grapes is probably... That is their (laughs) last name, right? Yeah, Yeah, I was like, am I just saying that? It is the Grapes. The Grapes, yes. Mm. Who And they live out of uh, Endura in in Iowa, so in the United States of America. A rural area. Rural area. Yeah, Yeah, that's... yeah. Good yep. setting. Um, yeah, and it's essentially about that family. Uh, like I said, Leonardo DiCaprio 
uh, DiCaprio's character Arnie has an intellectual disability. There is also the mother of the film who uh, is extremely obese. Yep. That's right. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose there is Johnny Depp and two other siblings as well. Mm-hmm. And you kind of get that small town feel just in watching it. So there are a few more characters that make themselves present without actually being a part of the family. Yeah, for sure. First and foremost, I think it's this movie was a product of its time. So a lot less was known about intellectual disability. And I do believe that Arnie, uh, Leonardo's character, has autism. Or that it seems is, to is be on the, the spectrum consensus, of, yeah. yeah. So, uh, even though that's not official, I think that that's the general consensus. So, a lot less was known about autism back in 1993 as well. The whole classification's changed since then. And we've talked about that in our, in our other podcast about a movie called Please Stand By, mm-hmm. uh, where we kind of broken down the classifications of autism. You can definitely go listen to that one as well if you are interested in learning more. Uh, but a whole lot less was known back then about autism and disability as a whole because it was such a long time ago. Uh, and, you know, from today's perspective, I think it, it might be taken a little bit more differently, especially to those who have disabilities. Yeah. And, you know, with this one here as well, as Harry said, we have to an extent covered uh, autism or intellectual disability uh, in a previous podcast. So we'll try not to repeat ourselves too much. But because of that as well, we're probably also going to take uh, a slightly different approach with this film here and have a look at how the familial effect is broken down or the the, yep. the way that the family, I suppose... The dynamics. The, yeah, the family yep. dynamics, I guess, yep. around having a child with an intellectual disability, but yep. also a mother with... what I mean, it's never really spoken about chronic disease. She's obviously very... Uh, overweight, but mm-hmm. I'm going to take a wild shot in the dark here and say that she probably has some sort of chronic disease going along with that obesity. Oh, it'd be really hard to if she think was otherwise, getting away with it. You know? Yeah, you'd be. Uh, it would be a story of fiction, <laughs> which I think it already is. It still is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but fiction squared. <laughs> um, oldest brother is Gilbert Bray. Uh, Gilbert Grape. He essentially. Uh, takes on a lot of the financial burden of the entire family. I mean, his little sister has a job selling ice cream as well, but it really seems to rest upon him. He has two sisters and a brother and a mother who just sits at home and doesn't... Um, yeah, she's like confined to like almost her couch. She I hasn't guess. left the house I'm in seven years. I'm pretty sure they like move the dinner table to her yeah, at one stage. That's it. Well, they keep on doing it. That's like the ritual. They make dinner yeah. in the kitchen and then they move the table to the to the couch. Well, that's actually a good thing to probably bring up yep. first is because like you said, the, the little sister has a job. Um, yep. uh, the older sister is essentially like the caretaker for all things home. Yes. And then obviously Johnny, Johnny Depp's character, um, he works as well. So it's interesting with the mother being, I suppose, physically, let's say physically disabled yeah. for lack of a better word, but not a lack of a better word. It's, I suppose, it's a pretty true definition well, of being, where she's at. Being morb- morbidly obese is classified as a disability in a lot of countries. Yeah. So, yeah, I can, well, you can definitely say being, that. Yeah, confined to her couch and, you know, Leo's character having, uh, you know, uh, intellectual disability, these other three siblings take on a role that is essentially supporting and surviving for the family if that makes sense yes for sure and we'll say right off the bat here that anything that we say in today's podcast um is not a 
uh, what's what's the word? It's not a stereotype for all families who have somebody um, with an intellect that that has somebody with an intellectual disability as a part of that. It's um, quite like you have to understand, especially if you do know someone with a disability. It's so variable anyway, and we've said that so many times in this podcast before. But intellectual disability is very variable. Someone with autism, very variable. So. Uh, and then the dynamics within the families, very variable as well. And we'll go into that a little bit more, I think, as we go down, um, as we continue through the podcast, I think. Well, how did you think that the um, family dynamic was portrayed in a sense of being realistic? Did you think that, that it was a fair portrayal of what that at least could be? I mean... When you have two dependent people in a family, it's kind of all hands on deck at that point. And I think, yeah, I think if the mother was confined to the house and hasn't left the house in seven years and the youngest brother uh, has an intellectual disability which uh, makes him completely dependent, he can't shower, shower by himself, can't bathe, bathe by himself, can't do a lot of things on his own... It just that the dynamic of everyone kind of chaotically working together, I think, is a realistic depiction of what could happen in their scenario. You know what? I just had a thought, and Mm. I feel like I've had this thought before, and maybe mentioned it on a podcast. I've forgotten (laughs) that I've had this thought before. Um, But in the film, uh, the father obviously is not present. In fact, the father, I don't know if this is a spoiler, Mm. the father kills himself, I think. Yeah, I, I think, think so. maybe it's like essentially it's like a alluded. year into Arnie's life. So Arnie being the character with an intellectual disability. Yep. Um, it's not spoken about whether or not that has anything to do with him doing that. I mean, I don't yeah, remember yeah, any yeah. part of the film. No. Um, but it's making me realize now that a lot of the uh, families that I do see that have a child with an intellectual disability mm. um, doesn't end in suicide. That's certainly not where I'm going. No. But there is, uh, I suppose, a pretty consistent theme of the parents being separated. Now, I'm not saying that that is the reason why, but I suppose from I mean, the outside, if you're being a little bit superficial about how you analyze things, you could say that... Um, in your experience. Yeah, in yeah. my experience, yeah. it does seem to, I suppose, have a familial effect. Yep. Okay, so like I said, not saying that intellectual disability equals divorce. Yeah. Um, but it certainly, <laughs> well, it makes the road a little bumpier, I guess, in terms of just oh, like picture-perfect um, family affair. Oh, 100%. You have, to, I mean, it has to, but it's all about, you know, can you adapt and come out stronger? But 50% of marriages end up in divorce anyway. Right. You know, so who knows? Yeah. Who really knows? We're going to start tallying, you know? <laughs> yeah. So send in your your, <laughs> your relationship status and we'll tally it up. <laughs> We're actually thinking about making a dating uh, app called Be In Love. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad, is it? It's not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the brother takes on the financial burden of the family, but also the... Uh, carer or support support worker role for his brother as well so he's the main carer for his brother and his brother and him are you know best mates essentially as well i found it interesting that you know in in my experience that some people really discourage the carer role being taken over by the brother 
Right. Can you explain why that might be the case? So a lot of parents might... I'm just trying to say this the right way. A lot of parents might just think that they're responsible for their children and their children aren't responsible for their siblings. You know what I mean? So if one, you know, in terms of carers in Australia and in our experiences as well, everyone has carers and support workers, so they have that option. I guess if you don't have the option of a support worker, your brother might be the next logical best thing for that person to, you know, to be the carer. Uh, But a lot of families don't like the idea of the brother being so involved in the dependent caring of, you know, their sibling. Some do encourage it for sure, but others um, discourage it. Yeah, I also just realized then something that we do at the start of every podcast is we do uh, talk about the fact that obviously we're not living with any sort of disability and we're not experts in this area. No. And I feel like this is probably the most important <laughs> movie that we've covered where that needs to be explicitly stated. That's because a very good point. we're tiptoeing yep. a line here that, you know, like I said, we're obviously <laughs> making an analysis on the movie family result. construct yeah, within yeah, this yeah. movie. Uh, and w- we can't really t- talk on that from personal experience. That's we can really point. only talk on that from looking at the, uh, looking from the outside. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we do have a very unique perspective of looking into the lives of people that we work with, but you're 100% right. These, this is purely in our experience. And, uh, and if that's, you know, if it doesn't agree with you, like we want to know as well. We want to know what your experiences are as well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Leonardo's character Arnie uh, it's one thing I didn't didn't love about his depiction uh, as someone with autism is he really played what could be considered as the stereotypical kid-like dependent character always kind of just running off and doing crazy stuff like he played that role to a T and he, he played the high end of every spectrum that comes with autism, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he was, you know, he was definitely obsessed and with particular things and he loved, you know, attention and stuff like that. And um, I mean, and some people with autism might be like that, might, li- you know, love the spotlight and, you know, act exactly like Leonardo's character did. But to me, it just felt like that character is the stereotype of someone. With yeah, very much so. I autism. said before we started, obviously, we, we, we have to talk about the film to some extent. Mm. And when I was watching the film, I felt as if, and this is not a slight on uh, Leonardo's performance, um, but to me, it felt as if, if you asked anybody in the world who didn't really have any idea at all of what intellectual disability looked like and you asked them to play this character... This would at least be what they were going for in the sense of yeah. this is that stereotypical assessment of what intellectual disability is. And as Harry said, it's so variable. And, you yeah. know, this this side of it, what's portrayed in Gilbert Grape or in Arnie, sorry, uh, is very, very high end. Yeah. Um, and what do you mean by high as end? As in it's at the higher end of... Being mentally impaired. Right, okay. Yes. So your uh, impairment so is you have more impairment. Yes, yeah. yes. So I'm not saying high end in terms of high functioning. If yeah. anything, I'm on the opposite end of that. Okay. Yeah. So do you find it difficult to... Ki- I mean, coming back to our job, and Arnie is a kid, and what we do, uh, we work with kids and try and keep them physically active through our sessions. 
Do you find it difficult keeping the kids that you work with? Uh, do you find it difficult to keep them active during the sessions? Well, that's funny. Arnie in the film, if I can just go to him very quickly, mm. seems pretty active all, all the time. Climbing trees. Yeah, like know, he non-stop. is someone that I feel like if you made the environment fun and engaging, like you would get a fantastic session out of. Easy, yeah. When it comes to how I, or in my experience working with um, intellectual disability and whatnot... It is, for me, session to session. Right. The, you certainly have uh, some clients that will more consistently need a little bit of a push along mm-hmm. um, or you're working a little bit harder to get an effective session mm-hmm. and then you have some clients that more often than not are just like pretty breezy. But at the end of the day, every session is different and you're constantly like feeling yourself out for the first... Well, actually, no, I take that back. You spend the first five minutes going in as if you like always do and then you realize quickly how you need to moderate yourself. Which path you yeah, have to take. which path you need to take. Yeah, okay. Because these are kids as well and sometimes, you know, getting a kid to exercise, like sometimes kids are just fatigued. Yeah, you right. Know? And we yeah. see a lot of our kids after school hours. We don't get to see our kids between 8.30 and 3 o'clock. Mm. And if you've been in school all day and then you've got, you know, an hour of exercise, everybody has their days. Yeah, true. Everybody has point. their days. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think in Arnie, well, in the context of Arnie, it almost looks as if you could get him at any time of the day and he'll and be up be. and going. And yeah. that would be a breeze. Uh, well, not a breeze, but it would be a blessing for, for us because we do have those we days where activity. you're... Yeah. No, we want to be effective in our jobs. Yeah, right. And yeah. sometimes being effective means, I suppose, pushing some activity out of someone who just isn't feeling it that day. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, okay. And in terms of keeping someone in task, if they are hyper um, energetic like Arnie is... It's difficult sometimes. Is yeah. there What kind of compromises do you have to take? Well, my compromise is always... Well, not necessarily my compromise, but my fall to is always that any movement is good or any exercise is good exercise. Right. So if I throw the idea out for a particular game or a particular activity and mm-hmm. they go, how about we do it like this? I will never argue. Yeah, right. As in like, as long as yeah. they're still moving around... Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'll like I'll start almost every session with what are we doing today? Yeah. That's you know what it. I mean? Yeah. I have my ideas. If they sit there with their like hands behind their backs been like Ugh, then I'll come out with some stuff. Mm. Uh, but more often than not, I'll come up with some games and I'll let them moderate it however they want to mm-hmm. yep. as long as they're moving. Yeah, right. So it really, uh, and I think we've talked about this a little bit before in the other podcast, but it really comes down to that particular technique and then trying, and this is such a skill in itself, trying to... Uh, channel them into a particular mode or um, type of exercise, whether you need them to get stronger, whether you need them to get faster, whether you need them to get more cardiovascular, vascularly fit. How do you then kind of work those pathways and do the other stuff on top of it? 100%. So it's, it's, it's a full line. It, and a lot of people say, oh, I work in the kids easy. You know, it is easy to a point, but if you're doing your job proper, you're you're thinking about all those you know movements good uh, but then how can i capitalize on the movement that they're taking to fit our goal that our we're trying political to, agenda yeah. yeah of course a great example I and you think have to is, bury it a little bit so you don't want to oh, yeah, see it you know you can't be outward about it no, you can't no, be like no. well this is why we're going to do this exercise <laughs> yeah, because it's going to it. help this muscle yeah. Um, abductors are weak and we need to work on your abductors okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like what? well that's a, that's a great example like I look at a lot of kids who collapse at the knee yeah. uh, every time they come towards the ground and any sort of like squatting or sitting movement and a lot of kids have this so I think it's something that a lot of kids will just develop out of as they get a little bit older 
but I mean, as EPs, like you sort of twitch a little bit as you see it because we're always looking at biomechanics and the way that somebody functions and we want to make that as sound as possible. So with kids, you're trying to look for ways to load them up, I suppose, unilaterally or get them doing movements that will help with that sort of right. valgus or knee valgus. So you're looking at like robot sideways walking where you're keeping the legs nice and straight and yeah. walking cool. sideways or hopping, yeah, 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 things yeah. like that. If you just told a kid that their glute meat is a little bit weak and they collapse at the knee, they don't know what you're talking about and they do and not they care. They don't give one care. Right. In terms of family dependence, and you know, we're talking about that a little bit more in terms of encouraged and discouraged, like how do you find that the kids that you work with and their families... How have you found the interaction between what you're doing in your sessions uh, with the siblings or the parents or whatever? Well, what I love first and foremost about the parents is um, they're always very supportive and understanding of the learning curve that you take with their kids. Right. Because I think, you know, as an EP, just by yourself, you have an innate sense of pressure to go and be effective mm -hmm. from the outset. Do you understand that it's not always a realistic goal, um, but it's always an expectation that you try to put on yourself. But when it comes to kids, um, regardless of intellectual disability or not, mm. there is a, a much greater, I suppose, or a much more extended get to know you period. Yes. Because gotcha. you can lose a kid so quickly. Yep. And it takes a little bit longer to really gain their trust. And you're yep. trying to get them to do things that they're sometimes not always keen on. Yeah. So I find at least the parents to be very supportive, very understanding and very informative uh, with, you know, this is how my kid tends to operate. Have a think about this when you're doing this. Yeah, okay. Siblings are a little bit the same as well. In fact, sometimes the siblings are really cute in the way that they talk about their brother or sister with an intellectual disability because... Um, I remember first getting into the role and working with kids um, and when siblings who would like seven or eight years old would be like, um, he has autism or he has this and blah, blah, blah. And I was, I remember initially being a little bit thrown and be like, oh, you guys are young and you have an understanding of what's going on. Yeah. Which I thought awesome. was really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, it is really cool. Yeah. So when that's the case, in fact, in any case so far, I think most people are pretty understanding. Siblings, parents, mm. they know what's going on. They don't always know how to handle it, just like you don't always know how to handle it. Yep. Okay. But everyone's trying. So do you find that the siblings get involved? Yeah, I definitely have a I definitely have a few clients where their siblings get involved. And again, it's one of those things that makes your life as an EP a lot easier because you innately, I suppose, enjoy engaging with your siblings. Mm. Um so having them on board certainly helps to to make things a little bit more fun. You can be a little bit more creative about what you're doing. I have one client in particular who uh, who was funded by the NDIS, like a lot of our clients are. And through the NDIS, you do have uh, plan goals. And one of his goals was actually to be more engaging and um, play more with his siblings. So my sessions have now become very much a a part of that goal in the sense of getting the siblings involved. That's awesome. As long as he's been active, we're good to go. Yeah, and now cool. it just so happens that there's three other kids that are getting the same thing. Well, that's great because that's the goal. 100%. Yeah, that is the goal, the goal. To be active and to engage more with their siblings. Perfect. And if it means I burn like 4,000 extra calories <laughs> in that session, then so be it. That happens. You yeah, know? oh, it happens. And in terms of... Uh, because uh, Gilbert Gray... I mean, sorry, Arnie... 
grape in the movie he can communicate like he can communicate in the sense of verbalize it doesn't always make sense i guess but a lot of the times it does do you find that communi- communication with someone with autism or a kid with autism is really quite difficult or have you found it relatively um a possibility well in my experience no not really but i know that there is an extent to which i guess i just haven't uh worked with just yet yeah i have maybe on like going back a little while ago at prac you know work with a client who i couldn't quite always understand verbally i know that you would have yeah i know that you would have yeah so can you be the person to explain that then i mean it's i don't know whether we've talked about it before on the podcast but in my experience, it's definitely the carers and the mother or the carers and the parents have a very good idea about the little cues and they give you the most potent cues that that person, whether it be a blink, tap on the chest, whatever it is, nod, shake, head goes up, eyes go wherever. If you can pick up on those little cues and you just, if you just surround yourself with that person for long enough, you'll start understanding them. It's just those little techniques, those little cues that really get you over the line. I literally just remembered one of like my most long-standing clients <laughs> who is completely non-verbal. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I p- apologies to that client if he's out there uh, watching or if, if any of his family members are listening as well. Yeah, I suppose exactly what you just said. Yeah, you have it. to learn to pick up on, on yeah. particular cues and develop that rapport and relationship. Yeah. And that's actually usually very interesting because communication is such a wide... It's an open, you know, field in a lot of ways. And, and we're so used to just doing this, talking to each other and picking up our verbal cues. But all the little, all the tiny little uh, nuances that you get from someone who doesn't verbalize, it's actually crazy how efficient a family member can be with someone with a disability that isn't. Um, that doesn't vo- uh, vocalize. So, yeah, yeah it's really I mean, interesting. Sometimes it makes it easier for us as well, I think, when you can sort of cut the verbal crap for sure yeah and you can pick up immediately because you when you don't ever have the fallback of relying on verbal feedback Mm -hmm. you are way more conscious to look at how somebody is responding to what they're doing Uh, and then you're right on the ball i guess of knowing when to move on or when something is not that cool yeah for sure moving on with the movie i feel as though that arnie's character is like people, everyone in the town knows who Arnie and Gilbert are and they really sh- seem to show him more pity than anything else. And I think that's a really... And it's not it's not overly pushed in the movie, but that's all I was getting. It was just, oh, there's, there's Arnie and Gilbert. You know, you can have that for free, sure. Just take it. We don't mind. Like that yeah. type of thing. And I thought that was a little bit... Um, I don't know. It just didn't sit that great with me. Can I ask something as well then? Because something that I always find a little bit awkward, depending on where you're doing a session, like sometimes we'll operate out of commercial gyms with some of our clients Mm -hmm. who might have an intellectual disability or might mobilize using a wheelchair. And when you're walking with somebody, like with your client who's in a wheelchair... Uh, or if they have an intellectual disability, you watch the C part yes. in terms of like people are so conscious about giving your room. And don't get me wrong. It is obviously like it's a, it's a beautiful thing it's to see. It's a thoughtful. Yeah, it's a very thoughtful thing to yep. see, but it's also very noticeable. Yeah. Um, and it's not like that's lost on the clients either. No. Where it's not normal for someone to move like four meters to give you one meter of space. Y- yeah, exactly right. But... 
a lot of the time when somebody has an intellectual disability or, or is using a wheelchair, that is exactly what happens. And especially if you're if you're coming up, you know, down the aisle of the gym equipment or whatever, and someone's using like got the earphones in and they're using like a you know reverse fly machine, and then you're kind of right behind them. And they turn around and you usually you literally spook them. They're like, <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, man. And then they're trying to like clean the. You're like, we're not going to that machine. We're just going past. You know. It's, don't panic. You, you, you whip people into a panic and then all of a sudden I'm there like, geez, I've, literally I'm just here with a client who knows exactly why you're acting that way. Yeah. And it's just, it doesn't, it's not great. It's not great. But, you know, it's... Do you get, as, as uh, clinicians, you get thank yous that you don't deserve. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. for doing what you're doing. And it's like, this is my job. So, like, yep. I'm not a... I'm by no means a wonderful human being in yeah. person. Yeah, exactly. I'm just here. Yeah, we're not yeah. A, not heroes or anything. Yeah, right? exactly. But you get a lot of credit where your credit is not due. Well, it's definitely the same thing with someone who's, you know, mobilizes using a wheelchair and they're doing something like Bridge to Brisbane or some kind of charity um, walk or whatever. And they're pushing it in their wheelchair and the people come up to them and say, oh, you're so brave, you know, well done, you're doing so well. It's just like I'm just out here doing it like everyone else, right? You know? That's that. That's that's what pity is. I exactly. Think. Yeah. And, and people, you in know, a people, see-through. You don't realize you're doing it until you're kind of called up on it. I think. I I think that might be. Yeah. It. You but know, I actually have a memory for myself. This is well before I was an EP. I was still quite young at the stage. Yep. Um, and I remember watching somebody in a wheelchair try and get like up this lip of like a footpath, mm-hmm. and was like struggling. And I was, I must have been like 14, 15 at the time. I don't even know if I'd ever really come into close contact with someone who uses a wheelchair. And I kind of froze in terms of, I kind of just froze and watched what was happening. I was the only person there. I had no idea whether I was going to be offensive to ask if he needed help or whether I just stood there being offensive by doing absolutely nothing. (laughs) And I think in both ways, depending on how you go and ask the question, like you can be offensive in both regards, but the smart thing would have been to just be like, hey, do you need any help? And that's it. Yeah, that's it. And they say yes or no, and you go, cool, see ya. All good. Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, man, I I must say, you know, I'm sure everybody listening out there has had some kind of experience like that where you just don't know if it's appropriate. You th- you're overthinking about what is appropriate for you to do. And a lot of the time, it's just like act as though that person, you know, even think about it this way, that's just the able-bodied person using a wheelchair and they're struggling to get up a... Uh, uh, a curb a, a lot of people would take the opportunity to be like I'll help you out mate you know like oh, I'll, I'll you know 100%. get up there you know it's just weird how there's a stigma around like oh this person has a disability they're different to me I don't know if they'll respond like I would respond but you just have to do your thing and then if it backfires cop it you know it's fine it's all good and yeah. and you know that doesn't mean that people using wheelchairs can be having a bad day or be just jerks full on. Doesn't mean because you use a wheelchair doesn't mean you can't be a jerk, you know? Like it's just something that it's just someone else in the community that you have an option or an opportunity to help out if they need it or something like that. You know? Well said. So back onto the movie. Right at the start, I know we've been talking for a little bit, but right at the start, uh, the narr- the narrator who was Gilbert says, oh, um, my brother be lucky to live past 10 years old. Do you remember? I think so, yeah. Right it, at the start, literally, the yeah. Because they sort of mirror the narration at the end of the film. Anyway, yes, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I think it does. Yeah, yeah. So that's like when he's, you know, 
writer, so he's putting the cricket in the letterbox and stuff and just doing the narrating over the top. And um, I thought that kind of weird. I didn't know there was like a lot of link between having autism and uh, morbidity, like an early stages, more early life morbidity. There is apparently three big ones that come into it. When I looked it up, there's uh, epilepsy is often a lot of time coupled with autism. So epileptic fits leading to death uh, could be a number of causes for the reason of death, whether, you know, because they do have fits, you, you never know what can happen. Uh, suicide, unfortunately, is one as well, yeah, which is a, a sad reality. And I think they're still trying to figure out that link, or whether it is, you know, whether it is particular types of autism or whatever. Uh, but also, there's a higher risk of cardiovascular and uh, disease and cancer. Which really? That, cancer which, as well? Yeah, so that's from the Autism Awareness Centre Incorporation. They essentially are still now doing um, uh, research in that field as well. In terms of why that's Yeah, so wh- why is it prevalent in people with autism? I mean, cardiovascular, you can make a pretty blanket sort of assumption and just that they may be less physically active cancer though that one's pretty crazy yeah yeah i mean unless it's just sort of like some hyperactive like cell division that we don't yeah well it's it's dysfunction i guess if it's dysfunction in the body um you know physiologically then i guess cancer is one of those things you got to watch out for but yeah yeah i had no idea i mean i wonder if the film being set in 1993 as well has anything to i wonder if there's been any change in life expectancy for somebody with uh an intellectual impairment i mean if if the life expectancy is expectancy is going up for you and i definitely has to be going up for yeah someone with um intellectual because modern medicine it's just we're moving right along you know tomorrow's the future (laughs) (laughs) you know what scene stood out to me as well Mm. And look, I'm not saying that this isn't realistic. In my experience, it's not. But there's a scene in the film where Arnie is probably being a little bit hyperactive. And Gilbert, I suppose, at least at this moment, is at his wit's end. Hmm. Uh, and responds quite physically. I think he hits him like once or twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe thrice. Times, yeah, yeah, I was going to say it might be an extra one in there. Yeah. Um, and in the film, this like just completely calms Arnie. Like, he mellows out as if he's like... It's the same sort of shock that you see when somebody gets hit that they weren't expecting where they're like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my experience, (laughs) if you have an intellectual disability or if somebody has an intellectual disability, sometimes calming him down, there is nothing... I mean, you could hit him (laughs) if you knocked him unconscious. (laughs) Like, that might do it. But you have a lot of experience with hitting children. (laughs) (laughs) And not finishing well, the none job. Of my yeah. clients. <laughs> <laughs> no, we but laugh. I. <laughs> we laugh. But no. I thought that was one thing that I thought was a little bit unrealistic. I mean, I'm not. Again, I can't say for sure that it isn't, but I, I feel like if anything, that would only make the situation worse. If you oh. were to physically assault someone who was having somewhat of like an hyperactive episode. A tantrum uh, or epileptic fit, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you try being calm, it doesn't get them any calm. I no. like it, so yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what you thought of that. I thought, I thought it was definitely weird. Where yeah. he just kind of simmered down and then all of a sudden... Like quaint Johnny Depp just <laughs> comes down. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Confusing, to say the least, yeah. man. Yeah, definitely. And that actually touches on something else I wanted to bring up is 
carer abuse as well. Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, you look at the Royal Commission that's, you know, recently gone into aged care and the issues that arise from that. Definitely some stories, or not stories, but factual events of people in supportive roles for elderly people abusing them physically and emotionally. Um, it's something to really be mindful of as well. Like I know, and again, carers are awesome. vast majority of the carers I've met are wonderful people. There are bad eggs, just like there's bad exercise physiologists, just like there's bad doctors. Not, <laughs> Not in this room. <laughs> Maybe one. <laughs> uh, but, you know, carer abuse is a thing that people... That, you have to be mindful of it, obviously. Uh, I actually knew someone in that their carer... Well, the client was, you know, a 70-something-year-old female. Uh, her carer, you know, a 40-year-old female. Uh, and over time, this carer... And I knew the carer for a while and seemed like a lovely person. And I knew the client for longer. Uh, over a space of a year or something, the carer was like taking money from the client consistently. As in like physical cash or claiming for things that they should? Because no. I know the whole false claiming thing can be a bit right. of an issue. So I do believe this is more of she was using her card like to buy groceries and then getting cash out or something like that. Ooh. Like just something like that, you know? And it's been a bad egg. For years, for like for, for a year at least. And yeah, it was just really heartbreaking. I think to when that happened, because you, you're like, geez, like surely that twenty bucks <laughs> a week or whatever that you pocketed. Up. No, why? And that's that's the other side of the coin. Where like we've said multiple times on this podcast where you just need to treat people like human beings and you need to not treat them in accordance with their condition. Yeah. And this is the other side where it's like, well, actually, if you're conniving enough it can be very easy to take advantage of somebody with an intellectual disability or with 100%. any sort of disability. 100%. And that's probably the hard part where you like you make that one statement about mm. just treating people fairly yep. and then the other end, which is like, yeah, treat you, people fairly. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you're looking at the, the shadows, you know, you're looking at the dark side of what, you know, reality, I guess. And we're definitely like pushing, obviously pushing for the lighter end of, of you know, reality. But there's always the, there's always the bad eggs, as you said. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, little things like that, you know, in terms of caring and obviously there's, you know, physical abuse that goes on as well. But yeah, I guess that's, that's just kind of, I thought about that when I saw, you know, Gilbert kind of snap and, and hit Arnie as well. Well, I think it's... If you're, if I'm being completely open and honest, I will admit that there are definitely, I mean, never to the point of ever hitting, yelling, being physical, being violent, or even showing any oh. adverse emotion. Yep. But I would be lying if I said that there's never t moments in my sessions where not internally, you're not frustrated. Oh, because mate, you're trying... You would be a, you would, you know, you wouldn't be who you are if you didn't get frustrated. You would, you you would know? be a genuine angel if you can get through any yes. session. And that hasn't even got to do with people with like disability or intellectual yeah. disability. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. There are clients, as I, like some people are just jerks. Yep. Some people are just dismissive of what you're doing. Yep. And anybody who is passionate about what they're doing, I suppose, can at times be at least internally affected by that. And I think this yeah. is where I was sort of going to try and tie things up at the end as EPs to say that, it, you know, you can have those frustrations 
regardless of what client you're working with. Mm. But it's about dropping your ego and, and, and understanding that you don't always in control. It's not your job to be in control of everything in in the context of your of your work. And I think in the movie, this is sort of plays out at this moment where Gilbert's really trying to just get a grip on what's happening around him. Yeah. Uh, like in that one scene where yeah. Arnie's just been a little bit resistant. Yep. Um, if your expectation is for any client that they will 100% of the time eventually just stay in line because you get a little bit upset, mm. you're out of your mind, I think. Yeah, yeah for sure. And just to change the, the topic a little bit, I also realized that, you know, thinking about it, a lot of the time, because we have done, you know, a couple movies now with people with uh, uh, autism, a lot of the time when you think of someone with autism, who do you think of? Just off the top of your head. Well, I mean, I think of my clients now. Kids. Yeah. Like you think of kids with autism, right? Yeah. So it's kind of like uh, ADD or AHD. It's you think of a kid with that condition. Something to to really note is that kids with autism grow up to be adults with autism. Yeah. You know, it, and you never really think about that. You know, if you do, obviously they'll, they might be a lot more adjusted to the world and maybe it's less detectable to people or something like that. But, you know, it's definitely... Adults with autism is definitely a thing, which I just thought, I don't know if people agree with me in that sense, but it used to, you automatically think that kids have um, autism. You know? Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that as well? And not to open up another can of worms so late in the podcast, but um, one thing that you sort of contend with internally, just from terms of how you're trying to understand your client, is whether something is on account of autism or... Or whether it's on account of just being like a seven-year-old kid, yeah, yeah, you know, because seven-year-olds yeah. can be pretty hard to control. Oh. Um, and sometimes autism may have nothing to do with that, or maybe it does. My poor mother, you know, <laughs> jeez, I'm, I have some flashbacks, and I'm just like, I don't know how she did it. <laughs> but yeah, you're hundred percent right. You're hundred percent right. In all, I think that, you know, what's eating Gilbert Grape. Arnie's character who, who has autism is kind of put on display for able-bodied people, an easily digestible image for them and makes you feel sorry for the family that he's even alive. Well, there's a... Uh, in the early narration that you're talking about uh, yeah. at the start of the film, yeah. um, there is a line in that which is sometimes you... Sometimes you're glad he's alive and sometimes you wish he was dead yes. or something, like, like, yeah. something along those lines. And it automatically made him dispensable in a way, if yeah. you know what I mean? So that was, yeah. So in terms of if we're wrapping this movie up, it's definitely a, um, there was a lot of things I didn't agree with, but a lot of things I have to sit back and go, well, it's possible because it is possible. I mean, someone with autism can act exactly like Gilbert does. Um, But it definitely raises the question of, you know, how we take responsibility and making sure that the marginalized people in our community that may have disabilities um, you know, are able to live a happy, healthy, long life. Um, and then also how can we support their supporters, I guess, in a way? Like how can we support, because the whole movie is based around Gilbert, how can he have more support to, you know, live a long and happy life as well? Because in the movie, it definitely feels as though he's stuck. So he has a sibling with a disability and... 
You're and a, a s- mother who essentially has a disability That's as right. well. Yeah. Uh, and a mother who has a disability. And they're essentially stuck or trapped even in this in, uh, in Andura, the town, and can't leave because we can't leave. You know, he can't leave his brother. He can't bring his brother with him. He just has to stay there and that's that. That's his life. And the movie kind of ends like that as well. If, well, I think in the end it's sort of... And like this is probably the ultimate spoiler, but I... Spoiler. <laughs> yeah, spoiler. This is a, yeah, turn spoiler. this one off if you, are, if you are planning to watch this for the next like 15 seconds, starting now. <laughs> when the mother dies, there's a line at the end where he's like, well, we can go anywhere that we want now. So it kind of does wrap the film up in saying that yeah. the intellectual disability was less so the burden albeit still a burden in the context of having the mother mother. who was also there to be cared for as well. Once she passed away... The chains were let loose and they could leave. But it's the same story, I guess, in the sense that, you know, like, is it fair to be confined on account of somebody else's disability? Um, It's not an argument that I'm going to answer for you. Come on back in, guys, (laughs) if if you have us on mute. I think that... You know, in my experience, I know a lot of families that go on holidays and take the child or whoever the family member is with them on holidays. So it's not like, I mean, it takes a little bit more extra planning and preparation for sure, as we've talked about in other podcasts as well, in terms of, you know, the, the hotel or the the type of transport or the the restaurants you eat at or whatever. Yeah, avoiding triggers, yeah. Yep, exactly. Um, but it's definitely possible and, you know, I thought that was kind of important to to note that you're not, you know, these people aren't, shouldn't be seen as stuck because someone that they know has a disability. That's all. Yeah. Cool. I think that was well said, man. I think that might, uh, that might be where we leave it. I don't know if there's anything else that you wanted to say. No, nothing at all. Just thank you very much for joining us for another podcast of Be Real. Uh, it's been a real treat for us being able to talk our experiences out. And uh, we're really looking forward to any kind of um, input that you have. Yeah, yeah. So please shout out, give us some feedback, subscribe, like. Uh, what's the other one? All that stuff. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah, all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, Thanks for joining us. My name's AJ. My name's Harry. We are B Physiology. Take care of yourselves, guys. You're listening to Be Real, Series 1 of the Unaware Podcast. I feel like I'm more aware now.